This is Report to Wyoming. This show targets local issues that matter right here in Natrona County, where we talk to real people about their thoughts and ideas. In this week's episode, Matt Jolivet joins us to talk about Play Clean Go and what each of us can do to help fight invasive species in Natrona County. Jolivet is the superintendent of the Natrona County Weed and Pest. Early on, we discussed the crickets in Edgerton before jumping to their biggest challenges this summer. Scotch thistle, Russian and spotted knapweed, prairie dogs, and grasshoppers. This was a good educational conversation, and I've since learned to identify Russian olive trees. So stay tuned to find out why that's relevant. And you live here in Casper? I do. Yep. Been in Casper for eight years and been with the, this will be my eighth season at the Weed and Pest. Oh, wow. How did you get involved here? I met my wife. She was from Casper, and so I started with the Weed and Pest in Torrington, and uh, we we moved our family up here. Oh, were you from Torrington? Uh, no, I'm not originally from Colorado Springs, although I, I try not to tell people that. No, I sure, sure love it here, and it's, it, Wyoming is definitely the place to be. When you came up here to be the interim supervisor at Natrona County, how different was that from Torrington? It's different sides of the same coin. Um, we're, we're all fighting the same set of you know noxious invasive species our challenges are a bit different with our sagebrush step ecology that we have here where you you move east and south in the state you get more grasslands sandy you know plant communities that kind of thing and more more uh, row crop agriculture so same battle different uh, different location on the map i had someone i was talking to yesterday who told me there were 62 species of sagebrush can you confirm or deny this? I, I don't know each one. I mean, I, I, certainly I know a few of them, but uh, yes, and, and that's really important when talking about plants is having proper identification or at least really close uh, is necessary for knowing whether, A, it's even a problem, and number two, how to how to control it. Right off the bat, I want to talk to you about the crickets. I want to say locusts. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> but they're crickets, right? They're Over in Edgerton. In Edgerton, yes. There's a, quite a, uh, a hatch bed of Mormon crickets. This is nothing that is uh, out of the ordinary for this country. Certainly, it's a, a high numbers for this year, but um, it takes you back when you see the, the number of crickets. And these are Mormon crickets. They do band together, and what they'll do is they'll march seeking out a lot of broadleaf plants is what their main target is. Um, they're, they've got a very varied diet. They're omnivores. They will eat trees, your garden vegetables, and then certain row crops. So we're monitoring that situation and uh, have the tools at the weed and pest if you need to protect a, a sensitive area. Would this be like pesticides or... Uh, I mean, yes, they'd be pesticides. Um, not in all cases, though. Carbaryl brand bait works very well on uh, Mormon crickets. You'll have to dumb this down for me. <laughs> sure. No, absolutely. But there's a lot of alternative methods of control. Mormon crickets don't have wings. Unlike grasshoppers, they, they don't fly. They can march a, a significant distance on their legs, but if you can exclude them physically with a you know, slick surface at the base of your trees, that will prevent them from getting up in there. And so it's a little bit of an outside-the-box solution, but no, all of, all of the methods to prevent damage are not. I'm seeing lots of comments on people's Facebook posts like, unleash the chickens, unleash the turkeys. Is this a reasonable solution? Um, absolutely. They would love to get a hold of a Mormon cricket. They're high in, in protein. I don't know that uh, 
you know, that would be a suitable control measure, but they would be very happy while they were munching okay. on more crickets. It would be safe? It would be safe for them, yes. What would you say is your biggest, like, summer concerns for our region in Natrona County? Our biggest concern for the summer is probably scotch thistle uh, would be a big one. Leafy spurge is a plant a lot of people don't see because there's a lot of work uh, that goes on in the background to control these species. The other one would be spotted and Russian knapweeds have caused a lot of chagrin to uh, producers and uh, any, any property managers. Biggest thing to get out, uh, message to get out with people with invasive species is uh, learn how to properly I- identify it. There's a lot of great resources uh, on the internet or through the weed and pest. And then it's a constant long-term battle. A lot of these difficult-to-control weeds have extensive root systems. Uh, They may be, in certain cases, prolific seed producers, and so it's not going to be a one-and-done scenario. Uh, It takes constant vigilance, especially in the spring and again in the fall for perennial species to fight the battle and win. You have to be thinking on a a years-long or decades-long time frame. Are you guys doing BLM land, um, government land? Where are you primarily looking at? Uh, we do. Um, we control a lot of the species on public land, and that would be our primary responsibility. But we know the the weeds don't stop at the fence line. I haven't seen one yet that uh, pays attention to uh, any no trespassing sign you can put up there. The weeds don't care. So we primarily treat uh, drainages, so we try to prioritize the whole drainage and work with whatever landowners happen to exist on, on that infestation. You probably have pictures of the scotch thistle and Russian knapweeds on your site. I do. Okay, good. Yep, like I said, the, the Internet is a good resource if you are making sure it comes from a, a suitable source, so a .edu or a, a local government agency usually is a little bit better um, than than just a random plant site. I have found mm-hmm. some things lead you astray, especially with the new, um, there's some plant identification apps on the phone, and I use them a lot as well, but you can be led astray. Lots of times those are just an image search versus a, uh, you know, list of identification characteristics. Yeah, I just noticed that yesterday. Our environment gets so, like, localized that every little species has its own sort of characteristics. And that goes for, like, birds and plants and mm-hmm. kind of the whole environment gets a little bit tweaked by the surrounding area. So Absolutely. Yeah. And then I just this morning saw a bird, and I was, like, looking in my little bird identification book. I believe it was a, um, oh, no, a warbler. Just a yellow warbler, but looking in the book, I was like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, the, know. the picture of there's so many different like variations of it. So sure, and yeah. genders. I don't know. So yeah, being able to just cross check that stuff and do thorough research is important. And you know, you may not need to identify it down to exactly what subspecies or cultivar it is, but uh, when we when we talk about species in terms of identifying them for the purpose of a control method. Typically, we're trying to exploit a portion of its life cycle, right? So if, for instance, we're dealing with a species that only reproduces by seed, then a mechanical control is perfectly suitable and may, depending on what the situation is, a mower may be the most effective and economical control method. Mm. And to give an example is scotch thistle, 
only reproduces by seed. Canada thistle is a very fibrous root system, perennial, that mowing is, is not going to be adequate. So knowing the difference between those two is significant and will affect your success for, for control. Now, what makes something invasive? So in the case of the two plants that you listed first, are they encroaching on something more important, turf? How do you determine that? Oh, absolutely. So invasive species tend to come into an area and take over. That is a very simple way to uh, put that. They, they will outcompete the desirable, typically native vegetation. And so they're, they're more successful in their new environment. And for us, that would be Natrona County. What are the native plants that you're most concerned with? Or I guess I should ask, are you guys concerned with conservation and preservation? Or is that another department? Oh, no, absolutely. We, we have a very unique opportunity in central Wyoming to control our, or manage, I guess, uh, rather, our sagebrush steppe habitat, which is important for all of these other species, sage grouse, western meadowlarks, all these other species rely on the sagebrush steppe. If, by chance, you get an invasive species that, let's say, increases the fire return interval and turns it from a sagebrush steppe into a grassland, that will completely ruin the habitat, and it will be lifetimes if ever you get that back. So we are very concerned about uh, conservation of the landscape. Seen um, the prison made a tremendous effort to help with this. We have a gallery of prisoners regrowing sagebrush, and but like you're saying, it's not easy. It's not as easy as just planting it. Um, no, and we're talking a lot of times to reestablish sagebrush could be 25 to 100 years. So it's usually not as simple, although they're getting better at targeting those planting techniques, purchasing local seeds. It's a, it's a lifelong task to reestablish those if, if they're lost. It's such a unique piece of Wyoming, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm sure there are other places where you have sagebrush, but nothing quite like Wyoming. Yeah, no, and, and we're, we happen to be right in the middle of the uh, sage-grouse core area, and their habitat requirements are very specific to that sage-step habitat, and that uh, if we lose that ability to host sage-grouse and lose, cut that core area down in size, There'll be a lot of uh, economic impacts. There'll be a lot of uh, environmental impacts to that. And it, it won't be good for, for our livelihoods and our recreational opportunities in, here in Natrona County. Is there anything that's recently cropped up that's been an alarm? The uh, Palmer amaranth is, is, a, uh, is a species that is probably new to our area. It's going to come in along county roads and agricultural areas. And the reason why it would be concerning is because we don't have very good herbicide tools to control that. So it seems to be resistant to uh, glyphosate, which would be the standard herbicide we'd use in those agricultural areas. Uh, you're going to have to come up with a different solution if, if you have that situation. Uh, the other ones are invasive annual grasses. Every, I think everybody in Natrona County knows what cheatgrass is, but there are ventinata grass and medusa head wild rye that are even less valuable, <laughs> at least less valuable than um, than the cheatgrass due to unpalatability and different chemistries of the plant. But they tend to be very invasive. And again, if they come into a, these invasive annual grasses come into an area, increase the fire return interval to where big sagebrush can't reestablish between 
burning events, and we lose that that habitat. Uh, probably, probably forever. How do these new grasses get here? Uh, they a lot of times they get here by the seed being transported in, in from somewhere else. Um, that has to do a lot with our with human or animal activities. So we we have to be careful not to spread those seeds where we don't want them. Would this be like something people are using for their lawn, or is it something that just more so just gets kind of innocuously attached to fur or clothes, that kind of thing? I, I think that would be a lot better description. It would it would get attached to fur, a vehicle, um, shoes, and then again to the hide of livestock. Uh, if they're coming in from an area that has has these invasive species, we need to be vigilant around those areas. If if we can, you know, certainly if we can clean either the equipment, maybe that's a little harder to power wash a, an animal, uh, the mud off of it. But uh, with our vehicles, when we're recreating, fur of our dogs when we when we travel to a different area, and even even within Wyoming, these plants can come in from a different county. A lot of times, if you take your vehicle to a parking area uh, with other folks who may be coming from out of state. That is where these infestations will start. And so... Uh, they're hitchhikers. They are. They're hitchhikers. Exactly. That's exactly. And then the key is when we do find those hitchhikers that, that come through to uh, get on top of it quickly because the chances that we're going to be able to, the chances that we're going to be able to completely control a new infestation go down the bigger it is. Are there any desirable plants that will outcompete, um, I guess, that are more dominant than some of these more pernicious ones? Absolutely. And if, if we keep our rangelands healthy, and so we're not stressing out uh, the plants due to misuse of herbicides is a big one. When we don't keep in mind the, the health of the other desirable bunch grasses out there, western wheatgrass, prairie sand reed, when we don't keep the health of those species in mind, we open up opportunity for these invasive grasses to come in. And so I would say in general, any type of disturbance that can be avoided should be done. So if that's overgrazing, traveling off-road with the vehicle, we'll all open up areas uh, for infestation. If we can avoid this disturbance and keep seeds out of these areas, then the plant community that's already there will have a fighting chance. And is that just because of sheer numbers? They're... Uh, I, are more, it's more prevalent. I think area. it has to do with many, many years of adaptation. We, it, you're a tough cookie if you can exist in Natrona County as a, a grass species, right? You have to be able to put up with drought. Some years like this one, you may be under two feet of snow for uh, a number of months, right? You, right? You're adapted to be very tough. We don't need to add to their stress level. They've, they've got enough on their plate to try to survive and be healthy. And fortunately, some of these some of these species tend to outcompete those native bunch grasses. We talked about sagebrush, those kind of things. Have you seen quite a bit of change in the last eight years? Every year is different. That's all I can say. Um, certainly, we're coming off of a, a winter that saw incredible snow. We had very high soil moisture. Uh, seems to be greening up rapidly, and that's after the, the year previous. It was ninety degrees in. In June, and we didn't see a raindrop until July, when it usually dries out. So, and that varied within the county, right? I don't think everyone would agree with that analysis within the county. So, again, I, I just I'm amazed at the variation that we have here in Central Wyoming. And we've talked a lot about flora, mm-hmm. but as far as fauna, what kind of pesky 
pesky pests are you dealing with? <laughs> um, we we typically will deal with grasshoppers and prairie dogs, and there are many many species of grasshoppers. Uh, about six of them are tend to be very damaging for forage grasses, and so they do have varied diets depending on what species they are. And so we go out and we we survey in the spring, and try to determine at uh, at what level those infestations will become economically significant and we'll put blocks together. A little bit harder than the weeds because you have to treat them in very large areas. Spot treating grasshoppers has minimal effect because when they turn into adults, they get wings and they go and fly to your neighbors and uh, will leave eggs in the ground for the next year. Prairie dogs are another one. Uh, They can be very destructive on the one hand. Uh, They like to clip roots off of plants take all of the forage off of a, an area where you have a high amount of, in a prairie dog town. Part of the reason why they do that is they're, they need nutrition and they like to eat the roots and plants. Another reason they destroy those areas is because they don't like visual barriers, right? They don't want to be snuck up on by a coyote or a fox, a badger. And so they can be very destructive. But on the other hand, they do provide an ecosystem service. And so that gets to be a, uh, an interesting conversation, and uh, certainly they can be very economically damaging. And the weed and pest will will help people who want to reclaim that land. But also keep in mind they are they are important for our ecology and that sagebrush steppe habitat. It's got to be frustrating always working out a balance. Because that's what I'm hearing when I think, yeah, the ecology, mm-hmm. everything, there's this give and take to it all. And so yes. figuring out how many is too many, that's kind of odd. Right. How do you guys make these determinations? Well, um, th- there are certain species where that is easy. Uh, leafy spurge, I think, if if we have anyone here who was trying to graze livestock or go and recreate in the 1980s and 1990s, uh, they'll know that a lot of area was ruined by the presence of leafy spurge. And so in that, in that species case, we go after every last one. And we know what can happen if that's left to, to spread down drainages and get, it'll ruin a lot of uh, land value. Uh, some species are finding a balance uh, where you you're looking more at the economic injury level right because it costs money it costs time to control these and so finding that proper control method that is the biggest win is is the hardest part and usually that is knowing where the economic injury level is so they they do vary from species to species but um, you know we don't want to spend ten thousand dollars controlling uh a pest or a weed species that's damaging one thousand dollars worth of you know worth of uh, habitat or or a crop. So un- unless of course that it's going to affect uh, the value for years down the road. So again, it it is a balance. I think that's a good way to put it. And thinking long term is usually the key to making a good decision. Now, sometimes when people visit, they go, oh, it's just sagebrush, and they want more trees or people who move here, and so there's a big effort to plant more trees and flowers. And does that ever disturb the environments you guys are seeing? 
Just people bringing in different seeds of like domestic plants and trees. Oh, sure. And, and of course, a lot of those species that they would like to plant are simply not going to survive here. There's a reason why uh, we don't see trees all over the country. They're kind of limited to riparian areas, Platte River Corridor, and then, and then the uh, uh, forest in the mountains. Um, it's tough to be a tree in this country. So I would, I would strongly encourage people to consult an, an expert, find a species that's going to work, and then be reasonable about how much inputs you want to put on there. If you're going to have to water this twice a day for three years, are you willing to put that effort in uh, when you plant those trees? If you are, great. Hopefully you get to the point where the, the amount of uh, effort will be reduced. But the other thing is is getting uh, getting seed and nursery stock, whatever uh, plants you're going to plant from a local source, a reputable dealer that's not going to have an invasive species in the soil or in the pot is, is important. And I, I would say a, a lot of our uh, local greenhouses and, and businesses, especially if they are, are only in Natrona County, would be a would be a good place to start. Because you see online when you Google things, like, oh, <laughs> you can grow what this, this, and this in Zone Five, but there's more to it than that. So yes, absolutely. I don't know. I want a black walnut tree. I don't know if that's going to happen. Absolutely, I think that would be that would be amazing. Or um, fruit trees. Mm-hmm. People have them, but it's different across the county. There is. so, And there's yeah. actually quite a few apple trees along the Platte River corridor. They'll, they'll do okay. And, again, they take a lot of inputs, and they need the appropriate microclimate not to desiccate in our extreme wind. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, apple, apple trees are a viable option for, for Casper. I've looked around. The neighbors don't have a whole lot of trees. No, and if they do, they're probably Russian olive trees. Which is as good or bad? Or I don't know if you like to classify it in those binary terms, but I was curious of whether I wanted to go here or not. So, okay. um, Russian olives are on the noxious weed list, which means we can and are expected to uh, have a successful control program for them. Russian olives, also, if we've been around Casper, are probably the most successful windbreak planting tree that that we have. Um, they take really minimal care. Uh, what I'm going to say is they, the, the reason why that tree is, has a negative impact on our community is in the, in the uh, Plains Cottonwood, Narrowleaf Cottonwood galleries on the side of uh, the, the Platte River, right? And they get on waterways, and they tend to physically spread very fast where they will crowd out and shade out the other riparian understory species that you have. So <clears throat> I don't necessarily get my, I'm not telling everybody to go out with a chainsaw and cut down their windbreaks, but we have to be knowledgeable about why they have an impact. And that is getting into cottonwood galleries that are sensitive ecosystems and crowding out, and crowding out the native vegetation. Um, you know, if these, if these trees can be adequately managed in a, a hedgerow or a windrow, they, they are a, uh, a tool people have to fight the wind around their property. But that balance Again, always back to it. Yeah. That balance, exactly. But so you're, the, when you say cottonwood galleries, you're basically saying they're out-competing cottonwood trees. 
Yes. Along the, okay. Yeah, as well as all the um, the other understories, um, we got uh, choke cherries, um, hawthorns. Any other big agenda items for you this summer? Um, no, you know we we are going to try to uh, join with Play Clean Go on uh, Invasive Species Awareness Week, which is the third through the tenth of June. And again, maybe I'll just give a plug to. Go out in your backyards, see what you have. Try to identify a few plants. Um, if you think something might not be kind of acting naughty in the backyard, bring it into the weed and pest or uh, uh, give us a call and we'll accept a picture of it and see if we can find out what it is because uh, we, we want you to have an enjoyable experience. And then also want to get the message out that when you don't have to be a major landowner or land manager to make a huge difference in our invasive species fight. When you go are out recreating, running around the hills with vehicle or even just your shoes or your dog, understand that you can be moving species around from one place to another. And so it will pay big dividends if you can uh, clean off your equipment before moving uh, from one place to another. And even on a small scale, if you're, if you're a farmer and you're going from one field to the next don't bring that infestation that you know you have in that one field to the next one it, it will pay dividends to get the power washer out scrape off those those roots that are on the uh, the harrow whatever it is so again let's find our balance and keep invasive species out of our community and when is play clean go uh play play clean go is june 3rd through the 10th so it starts tomorrow and uh goes through the 10th Play Clean Go is more of a uh, outreach organization, and so it just provides materials uh, for social media uh, to get the message out about invasive species. And so if you check out their website and you want to put a um, social media campaign together, uh, they have tools and resources for that. The idea of this uh, Play Clean Go is kind of to go along with Drain Clean Dry, so more of a terrestrial bent, I guess, than the the game and fish has a drain clean dry which is get the mussels and eurasian water milfoils and stuff off your boat before you go from one place to another but we wanted to expand that message out to terrestrial invasive species and so it's the exact same concept and we're going to use this week to promote uh getting the message out to folks that they can make a difference when they're out recreating um stay on the trail buy firewood that's local so don't bring firewood from three states away and go and bring it up to our mountains we don't want all the issues that could come from that and clean off your pets equipment this has been report to wyoming presented in the public interest by town square media